0: you would turn in your copy of the Bible to Colossians 1. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can turn in the bulletin as well. You can always pull it up on your phone and follow along as well. We'll be picking up from a sermon two months ago. Uh, So if you don't remember that, that's okay. Uh, Colossians 1, we'll be starting actually reading in verse 13 but the focus of our sermon today will be 15 to 23. Hear the words of God. He, the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. As far word of God living and active, written by Paul and spoken this morning through my mouth, Yet remains the word of God. Let's pray. Oh God, we ask that you would be in our midst this morning, that you would teach us by your spirit what you would have us to know. Open our hearts, open our minds to hear your word. Open our hearts to receive this good news and help it to work into the deepest part of our soul, change who we are from the inside. We ask that you would do all of this this morning, not for our sake, but for the sake of our savior, Jesus, the Messiah. In his name, amen. Like I said, we're picking back up where we left off in Colossians one about two months ago. Uh, if you don't remember that, what that sermon was about, don't worry. I had to go back and listen to it again just to make sure I was on the right track. Uh, Paul started out this letter to the Colossians with thanksgiving and with encouragement, urging them to remain steadfast in the gospel that they had heard. That gospel had worked faith and fruit in the people of Colossae, but they had started to drift. Like all of us, they heard the good news, and then they started to want to add something to the gospel, something flashy, something exciting, something to make it look more like the religions and philosophies of the world around them. But as they drifted from the foundation of the true gospel, they drifted as well in their faith and love. Paul called the Colossians and us to... Remember the gospel, be grounded in this gospel and to live out of that gospel, their faith and their fruit might continue to grow. We never move past the foundation of the gospel. We never exhaust its usefulness. And Paul continues now in this section to explain why it is so foundational to us. He urged us to remain faithful to it, but why? Why? Why is it so foundational to us? So today we'll be continuing this message to the Colossians by starting to understand the reasons why we cannot add anything to what God has done. We'll look at that in three points this morning. First, Jesus is the beginning. Jesus is the beginning. Second, you are reconciled in Christ. And third, the call to continue in the faith. The first point I'll warn you uh, is the longest. There's a lot to unpack here, lots that Paul says about the person of Jesus. So that one's going to be a little bit longer this morning. Let's dig in to the text this morning. Jesus is the beginning. Any story needs a beginning, and the best stories have compelling introductions they have something that that just brings you in to the story i uh, think of the beginning of finding nemo what a compelling beginning it throws you into the narrative right away with a emotional background to what will be the rest of the story it really hooks you in finding nemo hooks you in anyways I know, it's a dad joke. Here in the beginning of our history, we also have a compelling start to the story. We may not like to admit it, but if the story of salvation started with us, with you and me, it wouldn't be that compelling. We are weak and ordinary But Jesus is not ordinary. Jesus is the compelling character in the history of the world. He's the one that begins it all. He's there in the beginning of the creation. He is the Word of God that creates all things, and we even see a little bit of that in the passage today. And He's there at the end. He's the one that stands in glory, rights every wrong. His story is extraordinary. Indeed, we know that Jesus is amazing. If anyone was unfamiliar with Christianity, wanted to study the theology, the foundations of Christianity, they would quickly learn that Jesus is the foundation, that he is the God-man. He brought the divine down to earth and inhabited a body of flesh in order that he might Redeem us from sin. Save us out of sin. And yet there's more. There's much more to him. The son of God before salvation uh, was eternal. He is always part of the Trinity. The son of God was there before all creation. And Jesus is glorious, wonderful. Before there was any creation to praise his name, the Trinity exalted and glorified one another. And now Jesus has come down to us to show his glory and his goodness to us. So look then at how Paul describes this amazing God man and shows why he is so compelling to us, why he's the beginning of our story. To do that, we need to understand the kind of information that Paul is giving us. He's trying to understand the picture that, that Paul is uh, displaying of the person of Jesus. There are many places in scripture that give us a picture of the theology of who Jesus is, talking about his nature or his essence, his divinity, and his humanity. But here Paul's description of Jesus, while it contains a lot of that uh, essence and nature of Jesus is not just focused on that it's focused on the relationship that Jesus has with us with his creation. While Paul does talk about jesus 's humanity and divinity, his focus is on how we might know him first we see in verse fifteen that Jesus is the image of the invisible God now some have stumbled on this idea that Jesus was the image of God, as if that meant Jesus was not on the same level as God the Father. This is not what Paul is saying here. It's not what he's meaning here. Instead, that Paul's focus here is how God has displayed himself to us. Jesus is the image of the invisible God in that we cannot see The invisible God, and yet God has seen fit to come down, to descend to us in person, in flesh and blood. Jesus is the image, the fullness of God, as it says later on. Yet people walked with him. They ate meals with him. They sat and listened to him teach. They touched him. This Jesus is real. When they saw the face of Jesus, they saw the very face of God. Jesus is God made visible to us. And before Jesus came as a man, there were only visions or brief theophanies of God. We see that throughout the Old Testament, like the burning bush or the pillar of cloud and fire. But now when salvation is to be finally enacted, Jesus comes as a true person. He came to be known and to know his people. Even now, though he isn't walking with us on our streets, eating with us, he is man. He is like us, near to us, and yet also displaying our hope for glory as he sits enthroned in heaven. So Jesus is the image of God. The second thing that Paul talks about here in verse 15 And then again in verse 18, that Jesus is the firstborn. Jesus is the firstborn of creation, and not just of creation, but of the glorious new creation of life and glory, new life in the resurrection. Paul isn't saying that Jesus was the first being created. Again, he isn't uh, focusing on the nature of Jesus. But that phrase, the firstborn, actually signifies a lot. Uh, this was the common phrase used by that culture to, to denote the person who would get it all. The firstborn was the one who would inherit the family's wealth, the business, the, anything that belonged to the family. The name of the family would be carried on through the firstborn. Even David, though he was not the firstborn of his family, is called the firstborn in the Old Testament. Jesus, like him, is the firstborn of all creation. What that means is that Jesus is the authority. He's the one that gets it all. He's the one that every aspect, every single atom in creation belongs to. Jesus is the one who holds all things. So when Paul talks about being the firstborn of all creation, he's saying that all things belong to him. He's the one who owns it all. And our relationship to Jesus is not only that of owing all things to him, but owing our very lives, all that we are. The other idea that is really wrapped up in this phrase, the firstborn of creation, is that from Jesus, we derive our life and our purpose. From Jesus, Paul continues in the next phrase there, next verse. All things were created, both the physical and tangible world and the intangible and invisible world. All things created through him and for him. The only purpose and meaning that the world has comes from existing for Jesus. One of the biggest problems of our world today, we, as a culture, are constantly trying to find meaning and purpose in our lives, but reject the authority, the firstborn of creation. We try to find our purpose outside of Jesus, asking questions, "Who am I? What is my purpose?" Summit Ministries in Manitou Springs is having an online conference this week, uh, this Wednesday, on the issue of how transgenderism is affecting our youth-age kids. A report by UCLA states that of all the persons identifying as transgender, around 18% of them, nearly one in five, are ages 13 to 17. Our world has been promoting this idea that we can find our identity, whatever we desire. You're the master of your own little world. When we're bombarded with this message constantly, it's hard to not give into that message. It's in our nature to search for meaning and identity, but our world is searching outside of Jesus. It's searching for purpose and meaning. In just the stuff of this world. But if all things are created for him, and in him all things have their purpose and meaning, then rejecting him is a rejection of our sanity and our wisdom. It would be like going out into the wilderness and ditching your compass, trying to find your way home with directions that you've made up in your head. from Jesus, our purpose and identity are lost. Our value as image bearers of God was meaningless. This world cannot help seeing you as just another resource to be spent, saved, or wasted, but not in Jesus. In Jesus, you have a purpose. You have an identity. If you look through the biblical worldview, each person has value. And everyone who believes and is reconciled to Jesus is a new and glorious creation. You have a new and glorious identity in Jesus. Not only is Jesus the firstborn of creation and of all things, and all things find their purpose in him, but he is also, as we see in verse 18, the firstborn of the dead. This phrase carries with it the same connotations of having all possession and authority, but now our purpose and worth that we derive from Jesus extends past this mortal life into a greater, fuller, eternal life. Our life is given an eternal glory because our life is tied to Christ's resurrection. And our life is secure in Jesus because he is right now risen from the dead and his glorified body is enthroned in the heavens. We can be certain that we will one day rise from the dead just as he did. Isn't your savior amazing? Do you see how wonderful and glorious he is? Unfortunately, it can be challenging for us to be amazed by our Savior. We, we know these things. We know these facts. We know the story. Our hearts should, when we read what Jesus, who Jesus is, what he's done, they should be elated. They should be explosive with joy. And yet so often we read it, we say, yes, that's true. I believe that. We don't feel it in our heart. Sometimes that deep joy can seem a little bit out of our reach. Don't be discouraged. If that's what you're thinking, awe and amazement are things that grow in our hearts, things that God works in our hearts as we grow in him. They grow throughout our lives. So maybe you're feeling the lack of awe and wonder this morning, consider what God is doing in your heart even now. It's a good thing to realize that God is working and causing you to love what he's done. As God works in us and draws us to himself, we find a greater satisfaction and joy in him. But as we Continue back to the text as we continue looking at who Jesus is. I just want to urge you and, and encourage you, don't uh, treat this as a textbook of useful facts, but rather seek to know him as a person, as you would somebody you deeply care for, as you desperately want to be in the presence of his real physical body. Back to the text, the next verse, verse 17, continues. In him all things hold together. The laws of nature were created and are now upheld by Jesus, by this God, man. Humanity's understanding of creation has grown so much in the past hundred years. We've been able to see further out into the universe, been able to see Particles, the smallest pieces of creation. And it's amazing. These things are simple for God. They've taken centuries, millennia for us to even glimpse. They're simple for God. Again, Paul's focus isn't really on describing the scope of Jesus' power, but instead he is showing us the kind of God and king that we have. God is in control. Jesus is in control for us. Next, we see that Jesus is the head of the church. And the imagery, again, is of the body. It isn't a corporation or a government, that distance, that uh, kind of hierarchy. But it's a body. The head of the body is this God-man, Jesus. Jesus the same one that holds all things together, the one that holds us, his church, together. Here, too, it can be difficult to see the broader scope and understand the full depth of this application. Paul wants to tell us more about our Savior and his relationship with us. Uh, Jesus isn't some rich philanthropist, some person sitting in a tower who just doles out money, or goods. Jesus is the eternal God who has not just given us a meal, but has given us abundant life. And more than that, has bound us together with him in his body. He has made us a part of his body. All of you, if you believe and have sought forgiveness in Christ, you are coupled with Jesus, who is your head. You are part of his body, like the blood flowing through your physical body right now. You are connected to Jesus. And the life that he freely pours out on his children is yours both now and forever. The last part, the last uh, picture that Paul gives of Jesus is verse 18. Jesus is the beginning. He's preeminent. In some ways, we've already talked about several implications that this holds. He is the authority. He holds all things. He's the one that this story is all about. But again, Paul isn't just talking about Jesus' nature, but he's talking about how Jesus' character is connected with you and me. He's the beginning for you and me. He is preeminent. That is, he is the first and the highest for you. All of these aspects of Jesus' character are relational. He is the image of God so that we might see God. He is the creator of us and all things. He is the one who holds us by his power. He is a great and powerful God who uses his great power to draw near to us. That leads us to the second point this morning, you are reconciled in Christ. You are reconciled in Christ. I hope that as we've gone through each of these things, you've been struck with awe this morning, even a little bit, and have been able to To sit and dwell what Paul is saying. Who who is our great Savior? What is the glory of our great Savior? Paul is very intentional about how he writes to the Colossians. He bombards them with all these gracious and glorious truths about Jesus. And then he says that this Jesus has reconciled us in his blood. If we do not see the greatness of our Savior, then it is in our nature to belittle, to think less of him, to think more of ourselves. If we don't dwell, if we don't meditate on who Jesus is, then we want to exalt ourselves and try to make ourselves more useful. But Paul does not afford us that error. Instead, he shows us the vast power and might and the glory of our Savior so that we have no excuse but to run to this great Savior with our whole being. That was the same issue for the Colossians. Remember, this city was, was a great city. It was full of trade, full of religion and philosophy, the best of man's intentions and schemes. And if anyone wanted to come up with a righteousness apart from God, They certainly tried. But the church then and the church now sometimes forgets how great a Savior that we have. They forgot the glory and majesty of the Son of God who had come down to take on loneliness and humanity. Oh, how quickly we forget that Jesus is the focal point of all history. We think ourselves the main actor when we are not even worthy of being mentioned by name. If you've never heard the gospel before, you might be feeling like this doesn't sound like a very good deal. What do you mean that I don't matter? Sounds like the whole universe revolves around this one Jesus guy and the rest of humanity gets the short end of the stick. Maybe some of us Christians are feeling that way too. We can all struggle with these kinds of feelings more than we like to admit. But Paul knew that struggle. Paul encouraged the, Galatians, uh, the Colossians pinpoints the reasons why we sometimes feel that way if you see as we continue on verse 21 Paul says and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds we'll get to the good news in a second but there is the reason why I feel this life is wrong why I feel so insignificant we're alienated from God our natural state Of mind is contrary even enemy hostile to God not only that but in our sinful state we cannot do anything that frees ourselves from the bondage of sin we cannot avoid suffering we cannot free ourselves from wrong because we ourselves are full of evil and out of that fullness comes all of our evil deeds In our sinful state, no matter what we do, we cannot make any significance for ourselves. Until you are reconciled with God, there is no way that you will be able to free yourself from that eternal treadmill to make everything about yourself. In fact, you can never free yourself requires some good news. So here's the good news, continuing on in verse 22. And you, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Do you see the power of this statement? Don't for a second think that your life is meaningless in the grand design. Your life has been reconciled in the flesh of Jesus. In his blood and in his death, you are reconciled. Do you remember who Jesus is? He is the beginning, the first and the highest, the most important one. And he died for you. The one who holds every single atom in this entire universe By his power, he died for you. The one who has all authority and everything exists for him, by him. His flesh was torn, his blood was spilled, and he died for you. Friends, let me tell you, there's nothing as good as that. There's no greater purpose and meaning for your life than that. This is the hope that we have in Christ. We are not only reconciled, but uh, we are not only reconciled to God, but we are raised to such a state before Him that all else pales in comparison in this world. That is the gift that God has given to us. So now that we have seen our great savior and have seen the amazing reconciliation that he has given to us, what is our response? How should these things make our lives look different? This leads us to our final point this morning, the call to continue in faith. Paul continues, and in verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. First, just a note, uh, don't be alarmed alarmed by Paul's use of that conditional phrase, if, if indeed you continue. Paul's not now revoking the uh, exaltation of the Savior or his encouragement to the church. He's not saying, well, this may apply to you if you continue. The uh, structure of the Greek, the original language there, actually assumes that they will continue. That they will continue in their faith. Paul's not doubting their remaining in faith. Rather, he's contrasting what we have in Christ with that of this world. What is abandoned, We don't practice true faith. If we add anything to the gospel, we walk away from the glory of God and his redemption. But but, uh, Paul assumes and, and even encourages the church by giving them good news, by saying, if you remain in this faith, He knows that God is willing and able to to keep them, to guide them in that faith. The effect of the statement is that we are all urged all the more to throw away any hindrance or any addition to the gospel. What can man's religion and philosophy add to what Christ has already given us by reconciling us to himself? Absolutely nothing. And more than that, trying to add our effort to what Jesus has done shows our ignorance, our un- misunderstanding of the gospel, where we are only recipients of what God has done. Let us then, as Hebrews 12 says, cast aside every hindrance and sin which entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Hold fast to this faith. Let it be your foundation. Let it keep you steadfast and immovable in a tumultuous world. You never move past this gospel. Love how we're doing the Romans passage in the sword fighters this month. You never move past that gospel. Jesus has done. Out of that gospel and that faith, God will continue to work in you and to conform you to his image. Let us therefore pursue holiness and righteousness as we realize who we are in Christ. As we realize our purpose and value in him, leave those sins and desires that tear you away from the sufficiency of Jesus. Whether pride, ambition, lust, or shame. Those things are not part of who you are in Christ. Fear, worry, and anger will be replaced by trust, contentment, and peace. That isn't just a possibility, but it's a certainty. Take the opportunity then to recognize what God is doing in your life right now. How he is changing you and making you more like him. Continue in the faith and grow in him. That doesn't mean just keep believing the same things. It certainly is that, but it's more. It's also running the race. It's laying everything at the foot of the cross and letting God direct your paths. Finally, keep your eyes on the one who holds all things together. He's holding you right now. Jesus. Holding you right now. See how he binds you and come and rest in him. See how the high and mighty Savior has reconciled you to himself and holds you steadfast in your faith. He is more magnificent than you realize, he is more gracious than you can know. And he is your Savior. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for this picture of who our Savior is. Thank you, our Lord, our Savior Jesus, for sitting right now in heaven and holding us together, holding us by your power. And when you hold us, you draw us. Thank you for drawing us to you this morning. Thank you for drawing us in our lives as we go out from this place. Let us rest in you. and Let us seek to follow you. In Jesus' name.